You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. On today's episode, we're doing an interview. It's been a minute since I've done an interview, and I'm excited to do it because, well, I already did it, but it was exciting to do because it was with Dr. Sean T. Smith. I don't know if you remember him. He was on the podcast just last year, and he's a very smart man. I recommend his book to all of my coaching clients. I recommend it to you as well, The Tactical Guide to Women, one of my favorite books that talks about how to vet for a woman who's going to be a good fit for you, who's going to be good in your life, who is going to add to your life and not take away. The book Tactical Guide to Women is on Amazon and it talks about all that stuff even once in a while. I I just buy it for my clients. So I'm like, okay, you need to read this and I just get it for them because it's so important to have. It is what I would consider the Bible of vetting and finding a person who's attractive, right? So uh, when I say attractive, I mean someone all around attractive, right? Someone who's going to be good for you in all the ways. So not just someone who's physically attractive, but has the emotional parts and personality to go with it. And like I said, uh, one thing that I do is I I teach guys how to meet women. And so this book is kind of like part two. It's like, all right, so you've met women, you're meeting women, you're going on dates with women, but how do you find someone who is the good fit? And this book tells you about how to do that. And we even dive into that today on the interview. So Dr. Sean and I, we, we talk about step-by-step what should be done in terms of how to vet someone, what kind of questions to ask, how do you know if this woman's going to be a good fit in your life. And, and I understand that not everyone is looking for a relationship. So this episode might not be for you if you're not looking for that. But just understand that if you know eventually you're going to be looking for a relationship, so even right now, if you're in this kind of mode where you're just having fun, sleeping around, slutting around a little bit, that's fine. But eventually you will be with someone. And in either way, I will say this, whether you're going to be with someone or not, if you decide to have someone who's a you know friends with benefits situation, you guys are just having sex and having fun, you still don't want to be doing that with a woman who's going to cause drama in your life. So it shouldn't just be about just only sleeping with women because they're attractive and not caring about anything else. And I'm not just saying that to be like, well, don't be superficial. Like I'm, I'm really saying this in a, in a way that's going to help you. Like I don't want you to be sleeping with any woman who's not going to be someone who's going to be, you know, at least mentally stable on some level. And there's things and signs you can look out for. Again, we talk about it in the book, or he talks about it in the book. We talk about it today on this episode. And then what's cool too is now we go into talking about vulnerability. We go into this for a good 20-minute portion of the interview. And if you've been following along in chronological order, you're keeping up with every episode, you know that recently I put out a whole episode that has to do with being vulnerable with women. And Sean has a whole different side of this and we dive even deeper into that. So if that's something you're interested in, you're going to learn about that today. Again, we're talking about the idea of being vulnerable in a relationship and spilling out your emotional stuff all over your woman and and being all, well, just like I said, emotional with her and talking all about your emotions. You'll know what we're talking about when you get to that part in the episode. And really, it's it's pretty pretty good stuff. You're going to be using it. You're going to be learning from it. All great stuff. If you feel that you need help to get to this point. So a lot of guys, they're not going on a lot of dates yet, or maybe they are going on some dates, but they're not sure how to vet a woman. Either way, my coaching program does help with that. So we 
basically teach you exactly what to do to be going out, talking to women, meeting women. I do have a full program that is either a mastermind. And when I say mastermind, I mean, we're talking about just like a couple of guys that don't shove, you know, 10, 20, 30 people in a coaching program. I just don't really believe in that. Or you'll be working one-on-one with me or another coach here at Trip Advice. So a lot of options for you. And we help you with meeting women, with coming up with a whole custom dating profile that we help you do. I just actually worked with a client recently who got new pictures and it completely turned around his dating life. Like insane. I'm going to read you right now a text from my... Actually, it's funny. We only had a couple sessions, but then we had to move the sessions around because he had something going on with the schedule. So only after a couple of sessions, he sends this to me. He said, hi, Trip. Again, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And then three thank you emojis. Thank you so much. Just in the past two months, I've gone from being okay at dating to being pretty damn good. I'm now dating amazing women and regularly get naked with them on the first or second date. And I'm even dating a bikini model. So thank you. Uh, pretty amazing what coaching can do and how much it can help you. And yes, that is 100% real. I would never make anything like that up. How unethical that would be. Uh, But yes, if you want to see other people's results in coaching, go to coachedbytrip.com. That's the link where you can apply for coaching and then you can see other people who have done coaching and who have gotten great results with it. I would have a lot more, but unfortunately not every guy wants to be on camera talking about this stuff because it is Uh, kind of shameful for guys. And I don't push anyone. I only want people to leave a video testimonial if they feel 100% comfortable. And that's what you'll see there. Coachedbytrip.com is where you go. Click the show notes and you can click on that link. And there you can, again, go there to apply. And I will be reading the application. And then we'll see if you're a good fit by hopping on a phone call. All right, let's dive in. We got an amazing interview, longer than usual, just because we couldn't stop talking with each other. Uh, Sean and I have just a lot of great things to say, and we feel like we're on the same page, which makes it kind of fun. And also, just a lot of good challenging. I feel like he was challenging me. I was challenging him. It was a great conversation, and you are going to benefit. Here it is. Hey, Dr. Sean, good to have you back on the podcast. How's it going? Good. It's good to see you, Trip. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. It's... uh it's, it's not too rare that I have someone back on the podcast. There's been people who have come on as second, third, fourth, even fifth time guests. And, uh, but it means something, right? It's like if I have someone back on, that means I actually care about talking to them. Either we had an awesome conversation before, or I feel there's just more to talk about. And we didn't have enough time on the first one. So it is great to have you back. Your most recent book, The, ta- is the Tactical Guide to Women, is the most recent one, right? Yes. Okay, got it. So that is one which I've said to you off, off camera here and, and off air is, is one that I recommend to guys all the time. And I'm going to do it again right now. I believe that anyone out there who's looking for a relationship, at, by, by any means, right, relationship or a wife, this is the book to get. I have read a lot in this space. And I just believe that this one uh, is really simple to understand. It's really to the point and gives the best advice, especially in modern times and how to find a a wife, a woman who is going to be quality and add to the relationship. And so that's one of the reasons why I always recommend it. I, I, there's nothing I think I can say better myself. So I'm just like, you know what? You just got to read this book. This is what it's all about. So, Well, I appreciate that. That's a ringing endorsement. Much yes, appreciated. For sure. For sure. I'm curious, this book, what made you want to write it? And when did you write it again? What year was it? 
2017. Uh, no, I don't know. I think maybe 2017. That sounds about right. But um, the reason I wrote it is, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist and I saw a lot of people coming through my office and a lot of them men. And I was noticing that these men um, were, they were all coming through with some a similar background in the sense that there was something missing. There Nobody had been in their life to say, here's what you look for in a relationship. Like you, it's okay for you to look for somebody who treats you well. And it's okay for look to look for somebody who's high functioning emotionally. And, and a lot of guys come into adulthood thinking that it's their role to just serve women in whatever capacity they need to be served. And that includes sacrificing themselves to some pretty miserable relationships. And so I wrote a book essentially that I wish somebody had written for me a long time ago, which is here are some basic qualities. Like here's, here's the bare minimum level of competence that a woman should have to to be in a relationship with you. And and before that, the first third of the book is here's some bare minimum level of confidence about you that you should have before you even think about getting into a serious relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you said that too, because I use a, a different word, but synonymous with what you're saying. I say defaults. So I always, I always say to guys, it's like, these are default, the things that a woman should have. They should not be nice to haves. Like, oh, it'd be nice if she didn't have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? No, it's like, these are the must-haves. Like some guys you know, say to me when I do an exercise with them, I say, what kind of woman are you looking for? And I go through this kind of three non-negotiables, like the three things you like to have in a woman. And they say, uh, one of the things they say a lot is, oh, a girl to really you know, respect me and be really sweet. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not something that you know, you're looking for. That's something that should be there. You know, that's, yeah. that's like a default, but that needs to be there no matter what. So, um, and, and, and to rewind a little bit, I'm a, I'm a little curious when you talk about some of the things that a guy should have, what are just a, like a few things you mentioned in your book about that? The main thing being your purpose, you having your purpose in order and knowing where you're going in life before you start taking on passengers. Because so many times that like when people come into to couples therapy, so often it's because their values have diverged over the course of their marriage. They thought they were both going to the same destination, or maybe they didn't think much at all about it. They just liked each other. But as things get more serious in life and you're having children and jobs and so forth, then you start to discover, oh, well, I have some values that don't quite line up with your values. And my values are, are actually a little bit contradictory with your values. And that's a, that's a serious problem. That's a hard thing to come back from in a relationship. You know, I think everybody's pretty aware of things like resentment because a lot of that conversation happens out there, you know, work of John Gottman and so forth, talking about how hard it is to come back from things like resentment. But it's equally difficult, if not more difficult, to come back from the discovery that your values are misaligned. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So, like, what what would what would men and women say in your couple therapy sessions of what what kind of values would each of them have that would feel like oh they were never on the same page? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, the answer, in my experience, is not that they come in and say our values have diverged. What they're coming in with is this big tug of war that they're in, where they are sniping at each other and they're trying to non, non-verbally, at least not discussing directly, they're trying to pull each other in a different direction with child rearing or with how much time they spend out with friends and, you know, basic things like that. Yeah. Interesting. I, uh, have you ever heard of the book by John Gottman called Eight Dates? I have not heard of that one. No. Okay. So I think you would, you would appreciate this book. You can check it out. It's called Eight Dates. It's, it's, I think his most recent work. So it's come out in the past few years 
And eight dates is about, it's a workbook that you do with your partner, whether it's a new relationship or you've been married for 30 years. It's meant to have eight dates and every date is based around a topic of conversation that they have done studies on that have shown have been the most important in relationships. Mm -hmm. So for example, there's a whole date about sex. There's a date about finances. There's a date about religion. There's a date about um, how you spend your free time and like hobbies and things like that. There's a date about, um, what was it? There's a really good one there. Um, When, oh, kids and family, Mm -hmm. right? So, So all these really important topics that people don't necessarily either ever like talk about in the beginning of a relationship or they never do. And I imagine this is now where they come to you where they're trying to solve this problem. So every single date is there to ask questions about all your values. Like, what do you think about sex? What do you think about financial stuff? What do you think about family and kids? Do you want kids? Mm -hmm. What do you think about spirituality and religion? So you guys can get on the same page with the topics that inevitably come up and I did this uh, with my current girlfriend, and it's funny because one of her girlfriends said, "You know, wow, that seems you know really intense." Like when we were doing it a couple of years ago, I was like, "We have to sit down and do this." And one of her friends was like, "Yeah, that just seems really intense. Like, why don't you just like naturally let those conversations happen?" And you're smiling right now because I think you, I'm hoping you also know the issue with that is like, yeah. well, sometimes it's a little too late, right? Yeah, not only that, but and I love I love all those questions, by the way, because there's these basic core topics that people end up fighting about. It's family, religion, money, sex, and kids. You know, family being how how you integrate with their family, and these are the things that so often end up as end up being problems because they haven't discussed them. So not only is it sometimes not. You know, it's inefficient to let things evolve naturally like that, but also we're human beings and we have a tremendous ability to bullshit ourselves about ourselves and the other person. And when we're infatuated with the other person, there's a lot of things going on. Number one, we're, we're not seeing things clearly because we've devi- deviated from our neurological baseline when we're infatuated. And there's been studies on this. You're not seeing the world as you normally see it. You're not seeing yourself. You're not seeing them. You're not seeing anything as you normally see it. But that goes away. And then you're seeing them as they really are. And the worst time to make big relationship decisions is is when you are in that infatuated phase, honeymoon phase, infatuation phase, whatever you want to call it. That's when that's when you're most compelled to get a puppy together, to get an apartment together, to do all these things that entangle you with the other person. And that's the worst time to do it because then you come back to baseline at some point later and you start to realize, oh, this person is actually a three-dimensional human being. They're not all perfect and I'm not all perfect. And so if you're lucky, things work out well because you made these entanglements. But if you're not lucky, these entanglements make it then really hard to extricate yourself from a relationship that you probably should have taken a, a little more seriously and had these intense conversations. Right, which, which brings me to... What I wanted to do today with you in terms of this topic is, you know, because now a guy is probably listening and going, well, okay, so how do I make sure that I am picking the right person to be in a relationship with? I'm picking the right person to be my wife one day. It sounds like you should not be making that decision until potentially after the honeymoon period, which lasts from anywhere from from what I've read, 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go through with you, and since you, you, know, you wrote the book, The Tactical Guide, which teaches you all about, like you said, 
what is what are women attracted to? So how to be a guy, right? That women will find attractive, but also then how do you find the type of woman that is going to be a good fit for you, not cause problems for you and add to your life? So I want to know from Dr. Sean's point of view, and so you're married with kids, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll, let's imagine for a second that uh, you were to start all over again, or even just give the advice to someone about they're coming to you and saying, okay, I'm starting from scratch here. I'm ready to meet. I am meeting women, no problem, right? So we can kind of scratch the initial attraction phase. I talk about that a lot in the podcast. But it's like, okay, I'm getting these dates. I'm meeting these women. What would you do or what would you say to do for a person to go from date one to marriage? So like step-by-step on how to vet for that person, that woman is going to be, I don't know, I keep using the word good fit. Maybe you have a better word for that or like a better terminology. I think think that's a a fine phrase. Okay. So yeah, what would you what would you go about doing? Well, if they're coming to me professionally, and, and a lot of guys do come to me professionally with that very question, I always start with you as the individual. What patterns do you have in your relationship? So let's break down what's happened before, what has worked and what has not worked, so that we don't end up doing what doesn't work. And let's try to capitalize on what has worked. Um, and so that's basically just good old-fashioned therapy, just, which is unearthing your patterns so that you have more flexibility around what it is that you're doing in your life. Because our relationship patterns are like tying our shoes, basically. We, we spend a lot of intense energy when we're very young figuring out how to do it, and then we never think about it again until we... You know, until it becomes a problem, then like, it became a problem for the other day. I got these new shoes and they got these little skinny laces and I, I, um, I, they were flopping around in a weird way and I had trouble tying them. And suddenly I started thinking about how I was tying my shoes and it became very complicated. That's, that's kind of irrelevant, but maybe that's why I chose this example. But anyway, that's, that's where we start is with you. What, what have you been doing so far? And then in terms of, um, finding that good fit, it's really understanding your values things, what it is that you're here to to accomplish in the world and how you like spending your time. And that's kind of a complicated question because it's not so much a question of just how you spend your time, but how you expend your energy. Do you prefer to expend your energy out doing exciting things or do you prefer to expend your energy doing Netflix? And you don't want two people necessarily who are at, at opposite ends of that spectrum because that becomes a real problem down the road. It sounds like kind of a trivial, cute thing because like we can, she slows me down a little bit and I speed her up a little bit and it's all lovey-dovey when it, when you're just getting to know somebody. But down the road, that be, things like that become real serious problems. So then there's looking at, at those kind of values. And then there's just looking at the basic fundamentals of what did you call them? The basic, the defaults that a person should have. Like, have, yeah. have you been choosing people who don't treat you kindly? And if so, let's figure out why. And let's learn how to look for people who do treat you kindly. Because again, that gets to be really old in a relationship. So it's, it's really looking at, at a lot of angles here, figuring out how somebody fits in your life. Okay, got it. Got it. Do you have any maybe uh, universal questions that you think guys should be asking on the first one to three dates to just kind of get an idea of who this person is, because you definitely have some stuff in your book that does talk about the kinds of women to look out for, which seems to be pretty across the board of like women who maybe have some issues with um, their family or they have issues with any sort of mental illness or, um, you know, anything, anything to that degree where you think, okay, it's good to look out for a few of these signs or questions to ask and, 
in that beginning stage of courtship? Well, I think in that beginning stage of courtship, and I love that word, that's a word we need to bring back, by the way, is courtship, because it, it talks about a specific phase in a relationship where the job is to get to know the other person. And I don't know why we've lost that, that word in the vernacular. I love that you're using it. What's, what was the question? Oh, what should you be doing the first dates? I think watching. I, you know, in, in the beginning, I think you're just, you're open-minded, you're getting, you're seeing what the person presents. I think that's probably that's where I start with any human being is just to see what they choose to present to me and just watching and listening. But on that question of them not coming into the the relationship with things like mental illness or family problems, that's two-sided. Yeah, sometimes you, you need to avoid that. But really the larger question in my mind is if somebody, for example, comes into a relationship and they've got a history of substance abuse, alcoholism, let's say, have they done the work to get beyond that, to figure out how it was functioning for them and have they gotten a handle on it? And do they have a plan for going forward with it? Because that person who's done that kind of work is actually probably more insightful and more in tune with themselves than the person who has never really dealt with anything kind of intense. So it can be a real negative or it can be a real positive depending on how they've They've handled whatever it is. Yeah, no, totally. I, I and I, we, yeah, to to speak to that a little bit. How do we feel about you're on a first date with uh, with a woman, and she says that she's in, let's say, AA or NA. She's a former drug addict, uh, but you know, it's it's not too recent. Maybe it's like she's been sober for five years. Is there a blanket like give this? Yeah, for sure, give her a shot. Or is it like a blanket? No, like. Do not even get involved. There's too many women out there. Don't get involved with anyone who's ever had any form of, of past drug or alcohol abuse. What are your thoughts? No, I would, I would never say never get involved with somebody who's had a problem and overcome it because that's a person who knows how to overcome problems. The question then is, have they really overcome it? So, hey, you're going to want to watch and, and take notes as you go along. And when I say watch, what I'm usually talking about is getting to know somebody is this process of getting past the honeymoon phase. And then that's when the clock starts in my mind. So you spend the first 12 year, 12 months or six months or 18 months or whatever, and you're just infatuated with this person. You're in puppy love. That doesn't count. You're having a good time. You're on vacation. Once that starts to to go away and the other person starts to look like a three-dimensional person to you. Maybe there are even some little things that start to annoy you. That's how you know that you're you're coming out of that phase. That's when the clock starts. And I say, my, my advice is give it at least a year after that to see how they're functioning. And you also want to have experiences with them that get a little stressful, like maybe traveling with somebody and finding out how they react when they're tired, they're hungry, and their bags got lost. You know, Do they lash out at you or do they have some, some grace in handling that kind of situation? Yeah, that's so that's a really good example. One thing I say to guys is you want to the reason why you don't want to commit to being in a relationship with the girl for for at least several months is because you need time for those events to happen, right? You 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 might not be in a situation that could produce stress in the first month because maybe something doesn't occur or maybe you haven't been traveling yet or whatever. Like you need that time to see how does this person react to life as it happens to them. And to me, it takes several months for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, not saying you're going to ask her to be your wife in three months, but you will ask her to be your girlfriend in in three months, maybe four or five months, something like that. So, so it's like, you want to look out for those things in the first three to six months in terms of the courtship period of being their boyfriend and then being their girlfriend. And then after that, the game's not over, right? You're still, I like what you said earlier. I like the way you put it. You're looking at what they're presenting to you, 
It's like you're seeing what they're presenting to you. And sometimes it's going to be the very best self for those first three or five months. So you need to keep watching that stuff. This is what I'm interpreting from what you're saying. You need to keep looking at that stuff because in the honeymoon phase, we do put on our best looks. And eventually, that just we can't hold that for that long. I'm not saying that every single person you're getting into something with, they're faking it and they're this whole, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde situation. But what I'm saying is, is no one can hold that up, hold that for so long. So eventually over time, you're going to see who they are and, and their real values and, and their true person. And that can help you decide, oh, this is someone who I can get into a deeper relationship or this is someone who it doesn't seem to be adding to my life. Yeah. Exactly. So can I, let me, if I may, talk about a couple of things that are yeah, a couple please. of challenges specific to men. Number one is you and I are talking about observing this person, observing this lady in those first few weeks and months. What so many guys come into this, one problem that, they come, that so many guys bring into this equation is that they're thinking so much about how they are presenting that they are not, um, they're not giving themselves time to look at what she's presenting. So they're worried about being the kind of guy she wants to be, or they're, they're anxious, they're nervous. You know, guys get anxious and nervous about women. So they're in their head thinking about what they should be saying next and how they should be presenting. And they're not paying attention to her. So that's number one. It's just the either the anxiety or the old lessons that tell us we don't need to pay attention to her because we need to be making sure that we are doing things correctly. If that's a problem for any particular guy out there, you notice that you're doing this, then you need to zero in on what exactly is causing that. Is it self-consciousness? Um, is it old lessons? What it, What is it so that you can identify when it's operating in the moment and step back and put the spotlight back on her and pay attention to what she's doing? So there's one. The other is that men more than women, I men idealize women more than they idealize us. And, and there's been a few studies on this. Uh, Studies around how we will get possessive and declare our love and feel attached and fall in love quicker than women will. And that's been quantified and measured. And it, it seems to be, it's research that I find compelling. I think it's I think it's reliable research that we get attached quicker than they do. So we're idealizing them and we're also not seeing the flaws in them very clearly. We're telling ourselves a story about them to some degree. And there was another paper that came out recently, and I'm going to talk about it provisionally because I haven't really looked at the paper yet, but it said the, the findings was that when we break up, it hurts us more than it hurts them. So again, we're still idealizing them and we're still seeing them in a, in a nice light, whereas they're maybe seeing us a little bit more realistically. So these are two things that guys really have to watch out for when you're vetting a woman is that your own filters are probably getting in the way of you seeing her clearly. Interesting. I never knew that. That's very interesting. Okay. It almost sounds kind of like the same idea of attraction, like a microcosm of, of what you're saying is that initial attraction period where a woman, it takes a little bit longer for her to know if this is someone that she wants to sleep with and someone that she likes versus a man can make that decision sometimes within uh, less than a minute. I, th I think women say that they make that decision. I don't really truly believe it. I think that from what I've read, at least and, and experienced, is like women, they are taking longer because they're more attracted to, to the behavior of a man where men are more visual Women are looking at the behavior. And of course, you can't really know off the bat if this is someone that you're attracted to when it comes to behavior because behavior takes time. You need to see them, right? It's like the same idea as like a woman can meet a guy and be like, oh, right away, oh, I would never sleep with this guy. I'm not, I'm not attracted to him. What she means is I'm not physically attracted to him. But then all of a sudden, he's, he's really confident. They're having great conversation. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, she starts to find him attractive, right? So I feel like that's almost like a, 
a little bit of a, a, like I said, a microcosm of what you're saying is like men will become attached quicker and women, it takes a little bit longer. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, w- I want to say something about that, but I also want to, if you can help me remember, come back to this idea of yeah. the ba- women watching behaviors and how that plays out in dating apps. Um, so f- hopefully remember to come back to that. But this topic of, yeah, a guy can see a woman from a block away and know whether or not he wants to sleep with her. For the most part, you know, maybe maybe she opens her mouth and he changes his mind. But um, we're we're pretty quick to decide who we're attracted to. Women, it kind of depends on what they're up to. And these evolutionary psychologists have looked at this quite a bit. That if women are looking for somebody, if they're in the mindset that they're looking for somebody to settle down with, they're very selective. If they're out to have some fun, and eh, not so much. There's some particular things that they will go for, and it's the the stuff you would anticipate. It's the facial symmetry. It's the social dominance. It's all those. I guess what you would call alpha cues. That's what they key into if they're just looking to get laid and have some fun. Can I say that? that yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. If, they, if they're just looking for that. But so men, women can be in, in two different mindsets. And so can men, by the way. Men, men have a wife mindset and a go out and get laid mindset. But um, it, it gets, yeah, it gets tricky with women. And ah, I'm just repeating myself now. I already said it. Yeah. Okay. So you were going to mention something about how the behaviors play out in online dating. Yeah, Trip. So this is something that my understanding of this is evolving as the landscape evolves because the, this whole dating app situation over the last, it's, it's been a long time now since we first had things like eHarmony and then that evolved into apps. So we have apps that are very low barrier to entry like Tinder. And then we have apps that are higher barrier to entry like eHarmony. And then there's um, methods of meeting people that are even higher barrier into entry, like matchmakers are making a comeback, which is fascinating to me. And I think it's great. I think it's wonderful because I've known a few guys now just within the last year who have used matchmakers. It's very high barrier to entry. You have a person there who's watching your behavior and trying to make, trying to help you with decisions. And I've known a couple of guys now that that's worked out really well for. And even when they've had dates that haven't worked out well, there were still good matches and they were good people. It just wasn't quite, it just didn't quite click. But one of the things that guys are complaining about justifiably, and it's uh, almost a meme that's circulating around, it's that 80-20 rule, that 20% of the women are choosing 80% of the men. Am I getting that right? That no, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the other way. You go and say 80% right, 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 right. of the women are choosing 20% <laughs> yeah. of the men. It's funny. Yeah, so. I know this well because I literally today had a conversation about this. So Yeah, it's, it's everywhere, right? And thank, yeah, thank you. Exactly. So you have a, all the women are competing for a handful of men on these apps. And what I'm seeing is that men are interpreting this to be a situation of open hypergamy that that bleeds across all types of situations. Hypergamy being just that that idea that women like the man who is you know the best man that he can get in terms of some certain criteria. So um men are taking this data that comes from apps, which appears to be reliable, that a lot of women are seeking a handful of men on the apps. And then they're trying to extend that to life and say, well, well, this is how it is now that only a handful of men are, are having any luck with women. And what I'm noticing, and tell me, Trip, if you notice this too, that there's almost two groups evolving. You have the online group, the app group, and then you have the in real life group. And they almost seem like completely different experiences where if you're on Tinder and you're not Giga Chad, you're probably not going to have much luck. You're just not, if there's anything average about you. Whereas if you're in real life and that's where you're focusing, you're cultivating a network of people that you're connected with, that seems to work a lot better. And my hypothesis, and this is what I want to bounce off of you to see what you think, is that the difference between 
the online experience where guys are not having any luck and the in real life experience where guys are having much better luck is that in this world where men, women can see you, they're actually able to see the behaviors that we know, or, or at least evolutionary psychology says women look for. They look for behavioral cues like how you carry yourself and how, you know, do you, can you crack a joke? Can you walk into a room and exert a little bit of dominance and, and bring a smile to people's faces? These are things that become virtually invisible in a place like Tinder. What yes. do you think about that? Yes, totally. And and the problem is, is the data that a woman needs, which is what we're talking about, the behaviors, it's not there on the apps. Right. And that that data, as we're saying, according to evolutionary psychology, is very important, right? They need the behavioral cues to see if they can be attracted to this person. So naturally, I don't even, I don't blame anyone, right? It's like, of course they're going to go for the top 10% of men. Like all they have to go off of is looks and women are getting messaged way more. So they have their pick because they, they're getting messaged more. So they're only going to be going for the guys who have the, like you said, facial symmetry, the broad shoulders, the chiseled jaw, all that stuff. That's Right, that's what they're going for. So, but I, I want to give a little bit of uh, as much as I, I do believe in that data. It's kind of hard not to, right? Like that's that's data that people have have gotten, and that's what research researchers have found is that the top ten percent of men are getting eighty percent of the women, or whatever it is. Like only well, yeah, if there's men. If there's yeah. one thing these apps are really good at is aggregating data. Totally. Yeah. But I think what what men don't understand here to bring a little bit of of optimism and to, you know, I don't want a guy to be like, well, there you go. There's the data. Why should I even try online dating? And the thing is, is that yes, if you're not a super good looking guy, like you're natural and there's not a lot of us out there, we're talking about like the top 5%, 10% of really super good looking guys. Okay. You might not get that, you know, nine or 10, but you better believe that there's still plenty of women who are still very attractive, who you can get. But also I should mention that why also most guys are failing with online dating, Sean, is that they're putting up pictures, which is all that you can really do to make your best impression, that are absolutely terrible. And so there are some little tweaks and fixes that you can make where you can actually be able to attract more higher quality women than you than you were previously. So it's not somewhere to give up, but um, to kind of talk about what you're saying here is like, yeah, there's the app guys and then there's the in-person people. It's like, that's why I always say is at the end of the day, there's only like, you can get the best pictures. Like if you just put the best pictures on and the best profile, there's not much more you could do after that. So Mm -hmm. you do your best online and that's why you should also be going out and meeting women in person because you have all this opportunity now there to meet women who A, were not necessarily online to begin with, or B, you have a little bit of a bit of a better chance because they get to see some of your behaviors. Yeah. So. And and I'm all for experimenting with it. That's what a lot of psychotherapy is, is experimenting and trying on new things. And if a guy has been putting a lot of stock in in the online way of meeting women, well, maybe you can do an experiment with if you haven't attended to your social networks, maybe you can start doing an experiment over there. If it doesn't work, you can always go back to the old way of doing things. Right. I just think that I like that word too, because I use that a lot in my coaching is like experiments. Like all this is experimental. Mm -hmm. It's like you got to just keep on trying new things, putting yourself out there. I don't think guys look at this enough as an experiment, as like your own scientist, and they get too caught up with the emotions. And, and, you know, if they get rejected, they get really hurt. It's like, well, if you look at it in this way of like, well, we're just going to try some things, we're just going to put ourselves out there, we're going to tweak, we're going to get better. You know, that's a way to. To get better at this, so, um, can I ask you a question? Yeah, you're, you're working with a lot of guys, and yeah, um, 
I guess a couple questions. What are number one? What are the the biggest mistakes you see in the photos? The because that's so much of what this is the imagery. What are the biggest mistakes in the photos? And then are there ways that guys can tweak their photos that maybe give a little more of an indication of their social side? So I what I say is I don't love any social pictures. I think that when you have a picture of unless it's something that you're honestly passionate about. So let's say you're, I don't know, you can take a picture of you at a concert or you're doing some sort of sports league and there happen to be other people in the photos. Well, that's different. But when a person is going online, whether man or woman, and they're looking at a profile, they're trying to see if they are attracted to this person. And if it gets at all confusing because you can't tell, you only have so many pictures to work with. So if they see some photos of you and you're with some people and you can't really tell which one is you, it's like you wasted a photo. Mm -hmm. And I get guys who sometimes come back and say, well, no, don't they want to see my social side? Well, yeah, they, they do. But more importantly, they need to know if you're someone that they can be attracted to. So it's better to have a photo showing who you are as who you are and not necessarily relative to being around other people. Plus, by the way, what if you're in a picture with a, and I know this happens to guys all the time. It's like girls will put pictures up and her friend is cuter and it makes her actually look less attractive. And then, you, you know, you swipe left on it. So that is a potential problem too. It's like you should just have photos of you. And I tell guys, and you should tell this to guys too, when you're working with them, Sean, is like, just get professional photos. Like hire a photographer to take photos of you because they're going to take photos of you that are going to help you look amazing because selfies... And pictures of, I don't know, random pictures that someone maybe took of you doing something. They'll never, I say never, I want to be careful, but really most of the time, because I've worked with a lot of guys and seen a lot of pictures. So I say never, because so many times they do not capture what the guy looks like, at least in this most attractive light. And then all of a sudden they get photos from a professional photographer and they look incredible. Like I just posted on my Instagram a whole story of one of my clients of past before photos and then him hiring someone to take photos of him. And it's incredible. Like in the first photos, you didn't really know what he looked like. So it wasn't even that he was unattractive or attractive. It was just like, oh, he had sunglasses in one. The lighting was kind of bad. It was kind of blurry. That photo was kind of far away and his head was totally turned. So of course, if a woman doesn't know even what you look like, they're just going to, and I don't think guys think about that, they're just going to swipe left. It's like, oh, they don't, it's like same thing for a guy. It's like, if you can't really tell what she looks like, you're not, you know, well, a lot of guys just swipe right anyways, because for them, it's like they got to get something. But it's like, you're not going to be attracted to them if you don't know what they look like. And this is the problem with most photos is you can't really tell. Or you're doing some weird angle that if you were working with a professional photographer, they're going to get the right angle that makes you look better. So yeah, makes sense. So yeah, professional photos is definitely where it's at, especially especially for guys. I mean, not that females listen to this uh, podcast much, but but even for them too. Like my brother was just showing me photos of a girl that he went on a date with, and they were just miserable photos, and not because she was like, oh, she was ugly. It had nothing to do with that. It's like, what did she look like? That photo was super blurry. That one was super dark. That one, she had sunglasses. It just boggles my mind that people put photos up trying to hide them. And this is probably what's causing them to not get you know, the amount of dates. I guess my brother ended up going on a date with her. So maybe she got lucky. But um, but yeah, imagine how many more more uh, yeses she could have gotten. How many more yeses a guy can get when they just put up photos that make them look the best and show who they are. Yeah, and I would add to that clothing 
which is, you know, not many guys are really good to think about their clothing. I struggle with it hugely. Yeah. Like how do you find clothes that fit you well and accentuate your best, your best points and don't make you look like a little boy. Cause you look around, so many guys are looking like little boys is, is or walking into restaurants with flip flops and cargo shorts and, and graphic t-shirts and they look like children. And I don't know yeah. how many women are attracted to that kind of look. Right. No, you want to wear clothes that fit and you want to look somewhat mature. And at the, at the end of the day, I always say fit clothing, fit over fashion. So fit over fashion. So yeah. to make it simple, it's like you don't need to worry about like what's the most fashionable. It's like a guy can wear what you're wearing. You're wearing what's called a Henley, which is a, a, a shirt that has just a couple buttons on it, like a t-shirt that has a couple buttons. You could wear that in a very you know plain black, gray, white colored clothing with fitted jeans. And you'll look, you'll look amazing. You know, that, that's all you would need to actually look really attractive if you get the right photo. So I would think just if guys are trying to get their photos done and don't want to deal with having to get all what's new, what's trendy, because, you know, there's all kind of different trends every, you know, three to five years fit. Yeah. That's like, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know because you know, I'm not on the apps because I'm not married. I thought about setting up a just an experimental account on Tinder or something. That seems rude because you know, then I'm messing with other people's lives. But it seems to me that if I was a woman looking for a man on Tinder, I'm probably not looking for the guy with the Captain America t-shirt and the baggy shorts. I'm looking for a guy who looks like he has something going on professionally. And like you said, it could just be a Henley. It could be that he chose some decent clothes that fit him well, but he looks like a man and not like a child. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Now I'm curious here, you work with women as well Mm -hmm. in terms of your clientele. So what are women's biggest complaints or frustrations in when they're in a relationship? What do they come to you about that? What do they say? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, let me think about that for just a second. So a woman who has been in a relationship for a long time and what like what are right, most like I'm sure I'm sure you have you have female clients and out of all the ones that are coming to you for relationship issues, what do you seem to hear a lot? What I hear a lot is about how men handle their emotions and um Oh, this is a good topic. Yeah, let's talk about that. Meaning that there's been a lot of conversation in the last couple of days, for whatever reason, things going in trends about how men handle emotion. How do they, should men cry in front of women? Basically, that, that's a little conversation that's been popping up on Twitter. I recently. just put out a whole podcast episode on the idea of vulnerability. So I'm curious what you have to say here. Okay. Um, a friend of mine, Will Spencer, who you uh, you might be interested in his work. He's he's looking at where masculinity is headed. He's a very interesting guy and, and super smart and very articulate. Um, but he he prefers emotional availability to the word vulnerable because vulnerable implies weakness. And so if you're telling a guy to be more vulnerable, you're telling him what what that translates to a lot of guys is be weak in front of a woman, like make yourself to where she can hurt you. And um, not not to pick on your word because it's the word that's out there. It's the word that everybody uses. But emotional availability, I think, is a little more descriptive. And I hadn't really thought about it until he pointed it out to me. And I think the secret, you know, it, men, are, men are always walking this balance between being emotionally available or vulnerable, as we say, and being stoic, which women, um, we know that women appreciate men who are stoic to a degree, uh, meaning that they, let's define stoicism, okay? So not, not the philosophy, but the ability to contain your emotions, basically. So shit's falling down around you, and are you the guy who can just stand up straight and have a little smile on your face and say, hey, we can handle this. We're going to get through this and, and know that that's true and lead people through it. So that I think is, is a good example of stoicism. Um, 
the American Psychological Association hates stoicism for whatever reason. We can talk about that at some point, but the, you know they're real. Well, right, you guys want to pro- you want to help process emotions and right. Well, like, the Americans, right. yeah, it's it's a whole separate thing. They came out with some guidelines about masculinity that was just it was crap. It was it was really destructive in my estimation. But that oh, that's a whole I separate. Only, I can only cycle. imagine. Okay. So there's stoicism, but then that can go too far. Obviously, if you're controlling your emotions so much to the point that you're trying to evade your own emotions by way of alcohol or whatever it is, something, anything that helps you not experience what's going on inside of you, then you become kind of a jerk to be around because you are not able to communicate about effectively about what's going on. You're probably not handling your own frustrations very well. So stoicism is a two-edged sword. On the other hand, vulnerability or emotional availability, that's the flip side of this, where it can be a two-edged sword, where you got to have enough to where you can have an intelligent conversation about what's going on with somebody. And, but at the same time, Women get kind of turned off when a man doesn't have any control over his or what they perceive as not having any control over his emotion. Because I think the line that most guys are trying to find is that you're the guy who can become emotionally available to your woman and talk about what's bothering you. And at the same time, you have an answer to your own problem, or, or at least you have a strategy. Maybe you don't know how to, how to handle it, but your, your response is, well, I don't know how to handle this, so I'm going to go to therapy. But the point is that you're not giving her an emotional mess to clean up. You're not letting her know what's going on with you, but you're not making her responsible for putting your life or your emotions back together. And I think that's, I think that's the false dichotomy that, that guys are falling into, that they think that if they're not perfectly in control of their emotions, that they are giving women an, an emotional mess that they have to clean up. And there's a very clear middle ground there where, yeah, you can be emotional, but at the same time, you have a plan. Interesting. Okay, this this speaks to exactly what I was I was just talking about in my last episode. So this is um yeah, this is this is very good to discuss right now. So so what you're saying is women want I'm trying to simplify this. Women want or or they're having this desire on some level to see a man have any kind of emotion. Like I mean women are coming to you, they're saying and they're saying that their problem is is that the man is not emotionally available. Is that is that correct so far? I, th- I think yeah, I think that's what I said. But I think an accurate, more accurate way to say what I said is that women are looking for connection. They want to know okay. that they're connected to their man. And how to get into more specifics? Because I'm starting to, and this is not from you by any means. This is from society. I'm starting to really dislike the term. Uh, emotional availability and emotional unavailability. And the reason why is because I don't even know, I don't know what that means. Like that's so yeah, vague, yeah. right? Like it's so vague. It's like, so, so going back to what I'm trying to ask you here is what do they mean when they say that? Like he's emotionally, like I don't feel connected to him or I'm emotionally unavailable. Like more specifically, where is that not happening for them or what needs to specifically happen for them to feel that connection. Yes, you, you, you and I are kindred spirits because I love to, to define okay. terms before I talk about them. And, and so right. you're saying, let's define this term. Absolutely. So for example, guy comes home from work, he's clearly pissed off, he's clearly grumpy, there's clearly something going on with him, but he won't talk to her about it. Okay. That, I would call okay. that, and you know, this could be emotional availability, it could mean different things to different people. I would call that emotionally unavailable. Like she's he's closing her out, she wants to know what's up because she cares about him and you know, she, she, because she cares about him. She wants to know what's going on. He's locking her out. Whereas the guy who comes home and, and can say, among other things, it's not his starting point, but he can say, I had a really crappy day and here's what's going on with me. And maybe she can listen and empathize for a while. But then at the same time, he has the ability to say, here's, here's what I'm probably going to do about it. 
so that it's not up to her to fix it. Yeah. Okay. So, or, or sorry, or what do you think, you know, because women like to weigh in. So go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Right. No, no, this is great. So in my last episode or my, one of my recent episodes about vulnerability, what I said to guys as I'm coaching them and helping them, my idea was this is if you want to, if you want to, like, how do I say this? If you want to perform at your best, let's just put it in those terms. Like if you want to perform at your best in your relationship, like what would be the ultimate, right? So, so of course, no, no one's perfect, but we're just, let's just create an ideal, something to live up to that we can all agree on is like a really great um, way to be, I guess, uh, in a relationship, right? For a guy. And I would say, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I would say the most ideal would be you are a man who technically is stoic around your woman. We'll just say to be more specific instead of using vague terminology, you are a man who comes home and even though he had a really bad day at work, he comes home with a smile and he's just like, yeah, everything in his head, he's like, everything is figured out. So he actually, and again, we're talking about the ideal, he never comes home and and has any problem. So you kind of mentioned like, okay, the woman has this issue where the man comes home, she can tell there's emotions there. She sees the emotion, but then he cuts it off and doesn't connect it with her. So what I say to guys is let's strive for an ideal of let's be stoic around our women because women are attracted to a man who is strong and has things together and can handle his emotions. And you are still a human, so you're going to be sad, angry, frustrated, anxious, depressed. Those emotions will come up inevitably in your life, but you don't process them with your woman. You process them with your friends, with your family, with a therapist. Ideally, a therapist being uh, the best way to process those emotions. And so the reason why I say that is because let's go back to that one example where the man is uh, coming home and he's frustrated and she's like, I want to help him. I want to connect with him emotionally. And then he sits down and I guess it can go two ways, right? He can be like, he just vomits it all out. These are all my issues. These are all my problems. And he doesn't have a way to solve it. And she's going to be like, ugh, that's not very attractive, right? Like, that's not so good. Like, he's got, he's really stressed out and he's like, he's, there's no strength in there. Okay. Or it, it goes another way where he comes and he goes, yeah, work's been tough. This is tough. But you know what? I figured out some stuff and I got this. Okay. That's, that's great. That sounds good. Okay. They connected and, and she, and he's showing her that he can handle it. But why even go any of that route and, and even uh, gamble with that problem? And just be the guy who can come home and just have it already all figured out. Now, I know that there's going to be times where you can't, right? The ideal is the ideal. You don't necessarily always get there. You are human. You will make mistakes. You will still sometimes come home. You're going to have emotion on your face because you can't bat 100%. But wouldn't it be better? And this is where I'm kind of bringing this to you, Sean. Is like, wouldn't it be better to, to try to not have to bring that home and always be the man who's just conquering it all? And on the side, you can be dealing with the emotions and still processing them so you are a healthy human being. What are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting, interesting question because part of the relationship is teamwork. She's, you've brought her onto your team and vice yeah. versa. So you have this intelligent human being and, and part of the advantage of a monogamous relationship is that you have somebody who is in, as invested in you winning as you are. So why not capitalize on somebody who is smart and motivated and, and has your best interests in heart? In fact, do you, this is how, how would you, let me tell you how I just define love these days, romantic okay. love. Anyway, yeah. this this comes from a professor of mine named Michael Carson and he may have got it somewhere else, but this is how he presented it to me that you can define love as the absence of a feeling. So you know how when you're you're at work and your colleague 
gets a promotion or something and you're happy for them, but still there's that little neuron in the back of your head that's going, oh, that fucker, because that should have been me. There's there's that little bit of resentment that shows up. Love is a complete absence of that, that when this person succeeds, you are as happy and as invested as they are. And romantic love is you just throw sex in the midst. So that's how I would define love. So getting back to this question of, do you never bring anything home for it? Do you solve it all on your own? I would say, well, you're you're cutting off a, a huge source of support. And my sense from having worked with a lot of couples is that women don't necessarily want you to have all the answers all the time, but they do want you to have a plan. So this guy comes home from work and he's having a bad day and maybe he doesn't know what the answer is. And maybe it takes months before he knows what the answer is, but he's able to say, this really sucks. I'd like your input. And by the way, I have a plan. So don't worry, we're going to be okay. Even though I don't know what's going to happen, even though I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet, I know what my next step is. What do you, so what do you think about that? Interesting. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're saying utilize her as a resource for, for what exactly? Like emotional support? For helping you figure out. Problem solving? Yeah. Problem solving, helping you sort it out, emotional support, whatever that means to you. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I wonder if, but then it comes down to, and this is what I've talked about in other podcasts is like, I, I do believe that there is, you can go overboard with that. I think yeah. if that happens too much, you risk keeping the attraction and desire alive in a relationship. Whereas if you don't, but if you go on the other end and you're like barely doing it and you have things, it's like it, you, I think you have more, okay, I, I figured it out in my head. You have more to risk if you end up utilizing your woman as a resource to solve some of these issues. I mean, I, you know, of course it depends. Like maybe you have to come to her because it's a family thing that you guys have to figure out. But that's more just about problem solving, not necessarily to do about the emotional aspect. I mean, there's emotions behind everything, but it's more just like, hey, we kind of have this issue. Let's talk about this and figure it out. But I feel like there could be more risk to coming to her to help you solve you know, I guess I would need examples too of like what is it? What is it that you that like you you would want to bring to her that you need help from her to solve that? I would almost go on the other end and say there's probably someone who can better solve that than this random person. Like depending what that issue is, like if it's an issue with like I don't know, let's say an issue with your dad or your brother or something like that. I mean, maybe, but I think a therapist could do a better job, and I think that it might be worth it to do that because. You don't want the you don't want to have that drama there that she has. She's dealing with enough already. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. She's dealing with enough on her her life and her processing her emotions that it almost seemed better that most of the time, again, it, it's very context dependent. That, that it'd be better to talk to someone else about it. I am, I'm definitely I'm coming from a very radical side here. You know, I'm, I'm trying to kind of push guys to to as you can tell not put their emotions, but I'm doing it because I think that there's, there is risk there. And I think when you tell someone to uh, throw the ball 50 feet, they're going to throw the ball 30 feet. So it's like, I'm, I'm leaving room for error, but I want to make sure that guys know that it's like, cause how much is too much? You don't really know. I'm with you, uh, I'm with you hundred percent that there's risks there that, yeah. Being an emotional mess around your woman, but to, to speak at in extremes, being an emotional mess is going to turn her off unbelievably fast. Like it's, it, it, there's huge risk there. So what's the line between being um, an emotional mess 
and being completely right. stoic and she doesn't know what's going on with you. There's a right. line in there that every guy has to figure out. So let's throw out an, an example, something that's come up several times in, in my practice. And that is you have man and woman been married for years, however many years, and his father dies. And he's got some history with his father that's a little bit complicated. So this is a thing that's troubling him because now he has to handle the, he's had to handle maybe some illness along the way, but also now he's having to handle things having to do with estate and family and money and and all of that. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, all that pressure, there's whatever history there is. Like maybe things did not go well between him and his father a significant period of time. So Mm -hmm. this is something that's eating at him. It's affecting his perception of things, his perspective affecting the way he moves through the world. So this guy, whether he likes it or not, he has to decide how much of that he's going to not so much present to his wife because she knows what's going on, but how much he's going to lay on her and how much she's going to put her in the position of taking care of him. You use the word therapist earlier. You definitely don't want her to be your therapist. Definitely don't want that. And vice versa. This is just a horrible mix. But somewhere there's a line where you have this person who's on your side, hypothetically, knows what's going on, knows why you're acting a little screwy. So w- what are your thoughts on the line the guy walks there? How, how does okay. he pick it? This is a spot? great question. So so this is what would be the advice I would give to him. Okay. Okay. Let's just pretend though in this situation that we're not um, we're not cleaning up the mess. We're starting from the beginning, right? Not cleaning up the mess in what sense? Like he's like, oh I already dumped all my emotions on her. Now what do I do? You okay. know? It's like, well, that's a whole different story. It's like, let's talk about prevention. So let's just say it was a friend who came to me and said that and said, okay, dude, my dad died last night or two nights ago. I'm, I'm a wreck. I feel terrible. And he's just dumping this stuff on me. And, you know, or maybe he's coming to me. He's my client. You know? And he's like, I'm in this relationship. Like, What do I do? What's the line here? So this is what I would say to him. I would say, all right. So what I would do is you don't have to be all cheery around her, because obviously that is just an odd, weird, fake way to be handling um, the fact that your father just died. That's pretty intense. But what I would do is I would sit down with her. And again, I'm riffing right now, so it might be cleaner, but just riffing off the bat, I'm basically, he's going to say to her, hey, listen, um, you know, this is is an absolute tragedy. As you know, my dad died. I'm feeling uh, all sorts of emotions over this. But you know, you know me, babe, is I never let anything, you know, get me fully down. And so I always want to make sure that I'm in the best uh, mind space and that most healthiest mind space. So I decided that, um, you know, in order to, again, coming up with a little bit of things here, uh, in order to feel like I'm in the best space for myself, for you and our family, I'm going to see a therapist. And I'm going to process some of these things. And I think that's going to be the best for me. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see me in the next week here, obviously, just um, not you know, not being uh, my usual cheery self. And I just want to let you know that, you know, everything is going to be, is still going to be awesome. You know, something, something, something to that degree. So to make it more simple, I'm basically, I want the guy to, to convey, I'm having a lot of issues right now. And this is a, a terrible time, but guess what? I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And here's my plan for, for figuring that out. And of course, you know how she's going to react. She's going to be like, she's going to be, her mind's going to be blown. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Of course, like, I'll be fine. Like, I'm just worried about you. And she's going to be super sweet if she's a partner and say, well, that's, you know, that's, yeah, that's totally fine. That's amazing. And, you know, and, and she might say something like, well, if you need anything, I'll be here. And I think that you should, um, you know, if she, you know, she's going to say something like that, like, yeah, he should come to her with some logistical stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, going deep into all that, 
just to dump it on her. Is, listen, she's not going to solve it because she's not a therapist. So you're not going to get any real great solutions from her potentially. We don't know, but she's not a therapist, so she's just going to give an opinion. Maybe it'd be good, maybe it won't. Um, but also, so there's that part, and then you're just going to be kind of dumping it on her. And again, I don't think that, you know, listen, we're talking about the extreme, like a father or mother passes away and, and, and this happens. It's not like you dump on the emotions one day and all of a sudden your wife's going to leave you because you've been so unattractive that one day. Right. Imagine when she sees like, wow, this man can really handle anything, but he's not being putting up a wall and, and disconnecting from his emotions. So that's, that's about the advice I would give. Is, yeah, I think we're on the same page, especially the message about we're going to be okay. You know, yeah, I'm struggling right now, but we're going to be okay and having a plan. Um, and then each couple is going to have their own predisposition for how much they want to talk about what's going on with him or her. And with some people, it's, it's going to be more that he's going to lean on others. He's going to lean more on the therapist. With some couples, healthy couples, it's going to be that he's going to lean on her a little bit. And not being the therapist, not putting her in the position of having her make sense of what's going on, help him make sense of what's going on, and help him piece together old patterns in this guy and decide how it's affecting him in the future. And so like that's not her job. Her job is maybe just to empathize and chat about it and help him put words to it. And that could speed as his therapy along quite a bit as as she's helped him put some words to it. But that's just going to come down to each individual couple. I just thought of something too, as you're saying this, what what do you think about this too? Okay. So in this case, we're, we're trying to, the goal here is to have a, uh, the best desirable passion filled relationship possible, right? That's kind of what we're saying. So instead of guessing, because you know, it's like, okay, we were hearing, you know, guys listening to this podcast episode is like, yeah, I'm hearing that Women want that emotional connection, but it's like, you don't know how much or how little she's looking for. Mm-hmm. So what if we, I just came up with this, what if we just put the ball in her court, right? So what if we're saying, um, she's like, hey, you want to talk about some things? And then you say, instead of saying, shutting her down and going, no, I don't want to talk about it, right? Where she's like, ah, oh, he's emotionally distant, right? So what if you say, yeah, let's talk about some things. And you let her do a little bit more of the guiding of the questions, right? So he can sit down and say something along the lines of, um, you know, so where do you want to begin? Like, what what questions do you have for me? And then she can ask the questions, and then you just answer them. So now you're mm-hmm. you're kind of killing two birds with one stone with that one. Is okay, you're connecting with her, but she's almost dictating the questions, so you don't have to sit there and dump, right? You can control it the way you want to. So if she's like, "How are you feeling?" You say, "Yeah, I'm feeling kind of sad right now." You know, she's like, "Okay," and then I don't know. I wouldn't know how to make up these questions, but she asks you some questions, and you answer them, but you answer them with strength and whatever you need to, but then you cut it off at a certain point. I don't know. I just came up with that as like thinking, since it's hard to know, like, well, how much, that's the thing is like, how much do you say? How much do you not say? How long is a conversation? How long is, it's really difficult. But if I'm trying to play the game of being a little bit more diplomatic and saying, okay, let's give her something then maybe let her guide the conversation and you can answer the questions instead of guessing what to talk about. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, you and I are in, you know, we're copacetic here. What's the word? That doesn't matter what the word is. I can't think of the word. But I was thinking just before you said that, yeah. that this is something that gets negotiated. Like sex, like money, like, I mean, you don't, you don't care for that. You don't negotiate for sex. But the give and take, you know, it's, it's a negotiation. Money, sex, child rearing, all this stuff is you decide, the, each couple decides where they're going to land on these things. And I think this discussion of emotions is one of those things where each couple is going to decide where they land. And I think too far on either extreme, really is just probably not going to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And that's where it, it becomes that balancing act. So, so yeah, I would, I don't know. I would advise anyone. And, and again, I think we're on the same page here is anyone's, you know, this can be an experiment in its own. See what happens when you have a traumatic event or something bad happens and your wife says, Hey, you seem upset. Do you want to talk about it? Okay, throw it out there and just see what happens, but let her guide the conversation and let's see if it goes somewhere. And, and then you'll know, like, oh, if I'm just kind of sitting here dumping my emotions, trying to get therapy out of this, then you've gone a little bit too far. Or maybe you just haven't. You know, another thing you could do too is I think it's, per, it's perfectly reasonable in a moment where you don't, as a man, you don't have everything solved and things are kind of frustrating that you can say to her, um, hey, you know what? I do want to talk to you about this but I'm still processing things myself right now. So mm-hmm. let's talk about this maybe in a few days. And uh, and yeah, just remind me if you still want to talk about this and I'm happy to do that, but let me just process some things I'm just working on. But yeah, for that, now, that's I'm a, good to go. Really useful strategy. But the flip side of that is you got to give them, you can't say, we'll talk about it at some distant point in the future to yet to be determined. You give people something a little bit to, to lean back on. You know, Talk okay. to me tomorrow. And if yeah. I'm not ready to talk tomorrow, I'll at least give you, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that I'm working on it. Right, sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's definitely more respectful there. For but, sure. Um, there was one last thing there on on the negotiating app. But okay, so we we're talking about letting her lead the conversation a little bit. The flip yeah. side of that is that you give her a little bit of honesty and see what she does with it. Because if you're if you're vetting a woman to be a teammate, a partner, then you want to show her who you are. So if she asks a question, you're going to give an honest answer and say. You know, even if it's a little bit ugly, and again, you're not giving her a mess to clean up, but you're letting her know who you are, and you can see how she responds to that. And that's part of the dance of, of figuring this stuff out. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Uh, this has been great. I, I really enjoyed having this conversation, and, and it got, I like how we went to that point of talking about this idea of being vulnerable, because I still feel like I have, I feel like I have it mostly solved in my head, but I'm still... Like, I, you know, hearing your side of it, you're a therapist, so you hear more of it. So to hear now about, oh, okay, so women are talking about this idea of this lack of emotional unavailability and what does that mean? So I feel I'm always a student. I'm always learning and hearing, okay, what are better ways to handle things? So this has been very eye-opening, which I knew it was going to be talking to you because you have a lot of great information here. Well, so, and it's such an important question because my profession is very female-centric. And so they all, you know, everybody in my profession hears this complaint from women that women, that men are emotional and available. So the default answer from my profession in general is, well, men just need to put it all out there, but it's not that it's not that simple. And this is what you're saying. Like it's a complicated equation for men. And this is something that so many people in my profession do not seem to be able to wrap their head around that there are trade-offs to just putting it all out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I don't give advice to women, but you know what I would say to a woman is uh, be careful what you wish for, yeah, right? It's yeah. Like, okay, so you want that? I don't know if you really want that because yeah. you're about to hear some things that could make you feel like, ooh, I don't know if I respect this guy anymore. Who knows? Who that knows? could happen, right? Who knows? Yeah. That could happen, or they become unattracted to him for whatever reason, or and they're they're seeing. I, what I wonder too is like when it gets down to the nitty gritty, like let's say divorce or like breakups. I wonder if I wonder if that is ever a, a sole reason why a woman is divorced a guy, which would kind of fight in the favor of what I'm talking about here of this idea of, you know, being stoic. You know, I bet you that again, I'm guessing here that a divorce has never happened where everything is good, but the only one complaint is he's emotionally unavailable. Do you know what I'm saying when yeah. I say that of like, is that 
really like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll validate that it's a complaint. Obviously, they had the complaints. You're telling me they had these complaints, but, but is it is is that really going to be the cause of a, a divorce or a breakup? I don't know. I think I think that might be the distal cause in a lot of relationships. I think men more often err on the side of being too stoic with their women, and so. And again, let's operationalize the term. So emotionally unavailable. And I think the context we're, we're talking about here means she doesn't know what's going on with them. And that doesn't exist in a vacuum. That starts to play out in specific areas of life, like them raising their children together. She doesn't understand what's going on with him, why he's doing what he's doing. And maybe he doesn't have the word for what he's doing, but it starts to play out in finances and family and in children and in sex. And so the proximal cause might be an affair, but the distal cause might be this. She just doesn't know what's going on with this dude, and he's not telling her. Interesting. But I bet you if that person, because then we're talking about on the other side of things, is we're talking about a man who most likely is not learning personal development, learning about relationships, listening to a podcast episode like this, seeing you and being your patient. Yeah. You know, they're probably. They're probably a mess, and they, they're not solving it themselves. Yeah, so, so I might wonder, call them emotionally illiterate. He just doesn't know how to. Just doesn't have any language for it. Right, and that probably comes out in all these ways that you just said here. Like, yeah, it's probably making all these other areas of the relationship bad because he's not processing. He not only is he being stoic, is double whammy. He's stoic, and he's not processing his emotions anywhere, and it's causing all these little disruptions in the relationship. Yeah, you know, so. Anyway, oh man, we could go on all day with this. this we could go on all fun day. Conversation. It, it really is. And it, it is, uh, like I said, a pleasure to be speaking with you. Guys, you can get Dr. Sean's book, many, uh, a couple of books. You have a couple of books on Amazon. So if I were you, I would go onto Amazon and type in uh, Dr. Sean T. Smith, and you can see some of the books. The one that we referenced the most today, I'll put a link in the show notes called A Tactical Guide to Women. And uh, Dr. Sean, if there's anything else you want to you add or you want to talk about in terms of any other things coming up? Now is your time. I think we solved all the world's problems today. So good job. Everything. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for being on here again. I can see us having another uh, great in-depth conversation in the future. So I'm sure we'll have you back on. And again, we'll put the link to anything that you're doing in the show notes. Look forward to it. It's great talking to you, Trip. Thank you so much.